1: I'm your host Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm welcoming Katie Stifter. Katie's a widow, mother, high school counselor, sometimes funny wannabe blogger, raising three children solo. Her husband died tragically in a freak paddleboarding accident in 2016. He was He was missing for three weeks and four days, until he was eventually found by an ice fisherman who dropped his underwater camera on her late husband's boot. Her story was followed by all the Minnesota news stations and was a very public tragedy. This left Katie a 35-year-old pregnant widow with two other small children, Laughter and humor have always been powerful in her life, and she uses them in many ways to heal and live life after loss. She feels that it's her mission to spread grief awareness. Katie found that using humor helped break barriers and ease conversation regarding grief and loss. She's chosen happiness despite the pain and is trying to live a life continued. Happiness is a choice in her mind, and it does take work, she wants others to know that they can choose happiness too. Welcome, Katie. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Your bio reminds me of a. Uh, uh, I went to a concert the other night, and and the woman doing the concert was talking about brain science that if you if your mouth is turned up. Uh, your brain registers that it's happy, and if your bre- mouth is turned down, it registers that you're sad, whether or not you feel those ways. So um, I thought that was uh, it came to mind in terms of um, kind of making a choice to laugh, for instance.
2: Yes, exactly. I think um, you have to, like, make an effort to be happy. You can't just sit on the couch and happiness just comes. <laughs>
1: so. Well, especially after
2: such, such
1: a loss as yours, which people now know a little bit about from the bio, but I wonder if you could just bring Andy into our conversation a little bit. Um, I've, of course, read about you and your story, but if you could share with our listeners a bit about your life before you, you, uh, your husband died and, and kind of how that all unfolded.
2: Sure. Um, So I met Andy in college, and we actually were married for about ten—well, for ten over ten years. Um, But we knew each other for sixteen because we were college sweethearts. And so um, we met—funny, funny funny enough—at a keg party, (laughs) and um, he he got me to the front of the keg, and then I knew it was love at first sight there. But. Um, Andy was
1: not influenced the by the beer I'm I'm imagining.
2: <laughs> oh no no no, by the handsome man, right <laughs> So um, but he was the funniest man I have ever met and um, continued to be and continues to be the funniest man I've ever known um, you know, as we carry on his stories and and still laugh to this day with friends and family about, just different things that he said and did. Um, but growing up, I always had, you know, people, kind a kind person might say a joyful laugh, but it's a really loud, annoying laugh, I think. <laughs> so I think he married me. <laughs> so I would be a permanent audience to follow him around and to laugh at all his jokes. Um, but we but you were married, more, you were more I- the
1: appreciator than the joker then, huh? Yeah.
2: Yes, I was more the appreciator than the, than the joker. Um, I mean, I thought I was funny, but compared to him, um, he, he always took the limelight. So, so yeah, we, we met and um, dated all through college. Um, he actually was uh, in the military, and he did serve overseas um, when we were seniors in college. So, he was gone, and that was, you know, at the time, I thought that was, like, the hardest obstacle that we would ever face um, for those, you know, as Veterans Day is coming up, very important day to him, um, and should be. Um, but unfortunately that wasn't the most challenging that our relationship and my life with him faced. Um, but we, we got married after, after that and, um, moved, um, to a nice little home and, um, had two children and then we had one on the way when he, Tragically, went missing and ended up having passed away.
1: You know, I was uh, I was thinking about this uh, the aspect of your story about him having served in Iraq because, of course, that's a pretty fearful thing for families. I've I've interviewed military mm-hmm. families, and then when the person returns, of course, there's a big adjustment. But beyond that, who coast is clear. A
2: little bit. Yes, exact, exactly. And that's, you know, <laughs> And so it, it must felt. have been like so shocking. We, I know. We were on pins and needles. And so, um, you know, every time that we'd get to talk to him or he would come home, he did get to come home on deployment a few times. But it was such a, um, and that was in the early stages of of the war in Iraq. And so there wasn't the constant communication. So I do uh, have love letters between him and I, like actual snail mail love letters that I I collected and put in in binders so they're kind of fun to go through and read. So we didn't have a whole lot of communication with him. So
1: then, um, you know, as I I, uh, read about, since you sent me your story, um, this was a very casual... He was not heading off to do anything dangerous whatsoever when this happened. No, no. It was a very casual, I'm going to go take some pictures, um, and I'll be right back, kind of thing.
2: Yep, exactly, and so I am from Minnesota, and uh, he actually went missing on November 26th, and so typically in Minnesota, it's pretty pretty cold. Um, like today, there was some snow on the ground, and it's November 6th, uh, but that year, in 2016, it was just unseasonably warm. There was lots of people out in the lake. There was even people out paddleboarding on other lakes. I know the sheriff at the time had shared that with me. He saw other people. Um, so it was kind of fooled people at actually how cold the water still was. Um, it was like in the 60s that day. So he's like, I'm going to go out my last chance to get out and paddleboard. Um, he was wearing, you know, warmer clothes, long sleeves and some boots. So it wasn't like he was wearing his shorts <laughs> or swimming suit or anything like that. Right. Uh, but he really, he really enjoyed uh, paddleboarding and he really enjoyed photography. So he wanted to take pictures and just get out and be outside one, one last, last time. And unfortunately, the water was colder than anybody really knew at the time.
1: And that's considered to be part of how he might have ended up uh, falling falling off his board, I guess, or whatever.
2: Yes, you know. nobody nobody was there or saw, and so um, we know that the man could swim. He was currently training to do an Ironman. He had has done like two marathons, so so it couldn't have been that he he couldn't have swam the distance. He wasn't that far from shore, so. Although we'll never know, um, and his death certificate says freshwater drowning, I would, I'm would i assuming it made the assumption, or that's the piece that's come over me, that he drowned due to hypothermia, was confused and couldn't swim.
1: Ah, ah. So, then he doesn't come back. I mean... Uh, I, I've had, I've had nothing similar in my life. Uh, in fact, Mm -hmm. when my when my wife died, it was after a very long illness, which is quite a different experience, but, Mm -hmm. but, um, my father did, uh, die after falling. And so I, I got that call from my mom, something terrible has happened, but you didn't, you didn't get any call. He just didn't return.
2: Yes. no. Nope, he didn't return, and in fact, we had plans later on in the day to, to go over to a friend's house for dinner, and uh, I was about 16 weeks pregnant, and I had two other kids, two that were kind of playing in the house, and I had assumed he'd be back within an hour or two, and so, you know, around 12, he went out to about 10 o'clock, and around 12 o'clock, I started to get worried, like, well, where are you, and that's the time I started making phone calls calling him. And so I called him and then eventually the calls went like his phone had turned off. So it went straight to voicemail. So I was worried, but I thought, well, maybe, you know, he dropped his phone or he didn't bring it with him. It wasn't really like him. It's not really his style. He always answers and always calls back. So, you know, I waited and waited and, uh, eventually I decided I'm going to have to drive out to the lake and see where he is. This was around 3 o'clock. And when I got up to the lake, I discovered the empty paddle board.
1: But still, uh, you know, this specific number, three weeks and four days, um, Mm -hmm. I I know that I've I've interviewed um, people whose loved one was missing for a long, long time. And they mm-hmm. talked about being sort of in suspended animation that for years and years and years, um, mm-hmm. and I would I would imagine you were on more than suspended animation for those three weeks and four days.
2: Yes, I mean it was it was the most intense feelings I've ever had in my life, uh, and you know at first it was occupied by searching you know, searching, what's the plan now? We're going to search here today. This is the plan for tomorrow. This is the plan for the next day and so on and so forth. But I do remember that night, uh, the night that he first went missing and they were sending, they sent us home because the water was cold. They couldn't search anymore that night and they didn't want to risk anyone else's life, um, the rescuers. And so I remember thinking, how am I going to go home? What am I going to do? And um, I didn't want to go home. And eventually I was persuaded that we have to go home. And, you know, they told me, go get rest. And I thought, how am I going to get any rest? And so I just A ridiculous statement, a huh? I know, I'm like, how am I ever going to go get rest? And here I'm thinking, you know, nobody knew where he was. They couldn't find him in the water, the water was like crystal clear, um, so I mean, sick as this is to say, it was like perfect conditions for finding a body, or for finding anything. And so I'm thinking he's crawled up and is somewhere, you know, on the bank or crawled into the woods um, or who knows. And he's like literally dying as I'm, as I'm at home. So that was my that was my fear at that moment because. You know, I still had, I was holding on to hope that he wasn't in the water. And that's kind of the hope I held on to for the whole three weeks and four days. And so.
1: It's amazing it was, how the brain so does that, isn't it? Because what? I get the impression of it. It's amazing how the brain does that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, looking for any explanation, which given the man, uh, I think he was um, based on, you know, what you uh what you've shared um it would have been not plausible that he would have just disappeared or you know been exactly. bunking up somewhere it 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 seems so out of mm-hmm. place with who you describe him as being but it would it have did. been a better alternative
2: in the way well in and mind. actually you know the brain entertains those alternatives all through those three weeks and four days and and um, you know the police have to do have to do all avenues of searching, and so you know not only were they you know they were ninety five percent sure, ninety percent I can't remember that he was in the water, but we still have to look. And so we were there. Were posters that were put up all over you know in Maconia and all the surrounding cities, and um, they had to check airports. They had to you know see if. He did leave. Um, they had to check his work computer and all, you know, have me check the house to see if, if there was any money missing. So not only am I, (laughs) you know, fearful that he's dead, but now I'm also thinking what, you know, all those things are playing through my head, like all the what ifs, what ifs, and it was just such a disgusting feeling. But in the end, some of those ideas were better than him being in the lake, um, And we went on a lot of wild goose chases where psychics were involved. And, you know, I entertained any idea, anything, any thought that where he could be. Um, So a lot of the three weeks and four days were spent, you know, searching and going on wild goose chases and answering questions. But some of it was just spent sitting on my couch like a zombie, um, not being able to sleep or eat um, or want to be around anybody
1: and in the meantime growing growing a human um, yep
2: in the meantime growing a human <laughs> <laughs> you know that, <laughs> know, that really know. struck me too <laughs> you know that because that, that takes
1: that takes so much energy and you're so worried about you know everything going right for that that little human I know but there's no way you could possibly uh, uh-huh. make that a peaceful experience at that at that point.
2: Exactly. And I, you know, I did within like a couple of days, I did make an appointment to go see my uh, doctor just because, you know, I'm sure I was going through such intense stress. Obviously the baby must've been going through stress, but the baby was fine. He survived the whole experience. Um, and the doctor, I was like, I told him, I'm like, I've been drinking way too many Diet Cokes. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's drinking them. <laughs> if that's the worst care. thing you do, it's probably what he said. Huh? <laughs> like, as long as you're eating and drinking, just go ahead. <laughs> it's time for our first
1: break. But when we come back, what I really would like to talk with you about is uh, the impact of being in the public eye in grief. Mm-hmm. Because uh, yours was such a public loss, and both before and after, I I get the impression your husband's body was found, uh, that had to have an impact, too, and I just want to talk with you about um, that aspect of it when we get back. Okay. Sounds good. And, And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please... Get in touch with me, however your favorite way is. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, email. Let me know what you think of the show. And to find Katie Stifter, go to wickedwidow.com. Be back soon.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress, Anxiety and relationships perspectives with Dr. Vedisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not
3: just related to your physical well-being; it also means a healthier mind confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice
1: America Health and Wellness channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today.
0: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Katie Stifter, whose husband Andy was missing for over three weeks before his body was finally found. And uh, especially during that period, Katie, uh, I'm sure you were being asked to do a lot of interviews and news shows, and I'm sure you wanted to do that just in case somebody had information that could be helpful. But I I also... Uh, just thought that must have been so stressful to be, uh, maybe it's just because of the kind of person I am. I like to be a little bit quiet when I'm in grief, (laughs) you know, but how would you do that if you're, if you're so, uh, if your situation is so public?
2: Yeah, exactly. It was, it was really intense. Um, not the way that you want to make your like TV debut, obviously. Um, but, uh, I really, one of the main reasons that I agreed to do interviews was because I wanted to keep the story alive. And what I mean by that is, uh, again, it happened in Minnesota in late November, and so the searching was continuing, but the lake was starting to freeze. And so once the lake freezes, then what? And I wanted just to keep the story going, so... If anybody or anywhere could help in any way, um, I wanted to keep that going and search in no matter whatever way, shape, or form that we could. And, you know, the the sheriff, the sheriff office, and a lot of surrounding, you know, fire departments and police stations, and we even had um, Lewis County up north um, where they searched for bodies in Lake Superior. You know, they were down. They were searching as well. Um, but that's the main reason I, I kept going and telling it uh, just so we could keep the story going and alive until we found him. Because eventually if the lake freezes and they don't find him, then we essentially would have to wait till spring until Much the water longer would wait would, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that was just unimaginable for me to think about that, having to wait. You know, those three weeks and four days were already intense enough. I just, it was just not a question of being able to sustain that kind of anxiety
1: and yet of course we don't get control of that do we <laughs> you know no not. because it was quite quite fluky and and I should mention to people mm-hmm. that you you gave me uh, an advanced copy of a book you're putting out which is why I know the details so much uh <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of your story, um, that'll be coming out soon. People can take a look for it. It's going to be called The Funny Thing About Grief. Is that right? That's right. That's right. The Funny Thing About Grief. So uh, it, what what stood out so much in your book is, uh, you know, I, I used, people used to say when my wife was sick, you have the best of the worst. And what they meant by that was we had so much support and love and care. Mm -hmm. And it sounds as if your circumstance was similar in that way that people really came through for you, both strangers and family and friends. Could you talk a little bit about that aspect? Because, of course, you have, was it a six and nine-year-old at that time?
2: Yes, a six and nine-year-old.
1: And you're pregnant, and you're trying to run a household, and you're, you know, going off of work, which I imagine must have been a financial um, problem. Uh, But on the other hand, everybody rallied around me. Yeah. So let me hear a little bit about your community and and um, how they cared for you during
2: that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had you know a whole community family work community rally around me, um, you know, just to touch a little bit on first, my work community, we can contribute sick bank days to people that are in need. And I had, and that's how I survived so, that period of time, you know, cause I also needed to take a maternity leave as well. So I had other coworkers donating their sick bank days for me so I could take off work and not have to feel stressed, you know, financially, um, as well as, you know, physically and emotionally at that time. Um, In my community, I had strangers that were showing up at my door, you know, with gift cards and money and anything that they could offer. Um, I had neighbors, um, family members, you know, meal trains, um, you know, showing up with coffee and whatever I needed to do or needed at that time, which most of the time I had no clue. Um, and the, the biggest theme, I think, from, from the whole period of, of, of that time in my life was that people are good. You know, there's always so much out there on how negative the world is and how negative people are, and I mean, these people just supported me and knew, you know, they were just so sad for me and wanted to help in any way that they could, and you know the sheriff and the police officer. I mean, the sheriff. He he would call me every day and give me updates. Um, when Andy was found, he sat with me and my family because he was at that point like a part of my family, um, and felt like Andy was. You know, they were treating us like we were their family, and so.
1: And are like you? Do said, you I live in, a, f- in a f- <laughs> Sorry. Do you live in a fairly small town? I that do. would be mm-hmm. that would be a very hard thing I live in Oakland California and mm-hmm. um, I don't know I think there are many people that would have the heart to do that but I don't know about mm-hmm. the time you know uh, yeah. people in in the police department etc uh, just having the time to form that depth of relationship that you're talking about
2: yeah, we live in a a very small town outside the suburbs of the Twin Cities, and um, it's a growing community. But I think it's like somewhere between ten to fifteen thousand.
1: Uh huh. And and not maybe the kinds of um, not as much demand on the department as maybe somewhere you know a big city exactly. like I live in. <laughs> yeah, so <that> exactly. Was- <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Urban environments are a whole different thing, huh? And yet yet it is so familiar to me, this idea of sort of the angels that uh, come along that stand out. I mean, I still, my wife died in 1995, and there are acts of generosity that I think of frequently that that came to me during that time that... uh, Really were meaningful, and mm-hmm. it sounds as if you have those same kinds of memories—things um, that stay with
2: you forever. Really, yeah, I do, and I don't think we realize the impact that we have daily on people, just like the small acts of kindness that we we do. Because those, like you had said, um, when your wife had died, those. Even just the smallest things. I mean, I I can remember, and just meant the world to me at the time. And are you know kind of what I needed or didn't know I needed. Um, but for example, I had so when when Andy when I first had arrived at the scene when I found the missing paddleboard and then had called the ambulance and the police had come and they also had an ambulance come and the driver surrounded me and my neighbor was there at the time and asked to pray with us. And because we're at a moment in that time where what is there to do? I mean, I'm pacing back and forth. I'm you crying and screaming and yelling. And, um, I just remember just how powerful that moment was, that human connection that I needed. And, um, actually a year later on the day that he was, um, went missing, that same ambulance driver came to my house, knocked on my door, Uh, I answered the door, and he said, you probably don't remember me. And I said, of course I do, Dave. You're the ambulance driver that prayed with me. And he gave me a box of chocolates. And, (laughs) I mean, that brings such emotion to me, just thinking about just the kindness that people have and how meaningful those moments are. And I'm sure you've had experiences like that, too.
1: Oh, absolutely. As have many people that I've that I've interviewed who've gone through very mm-hmm. difficult times, uh, mm-hmm. public or not, you know. There's sometimes that does open a door to people's lovingness.
2: Mhm. And I do. I just remember, you know, uh, other there was another sheriff that was working closely, kind of on the other side of the of the searching, like having to do investigating of like the. Andy's work computer and, you know, airports and all that kind of background diggy. And I remember him getting emotional when he came over to my house to pick up the computer because he sees my two children. And just even that act, like, he didn't even know that maybe that had an impact on me, but it did, like, that he cared that much. Like, he sees these two small children and he sees me um, and just the emotion that he had about a family
1: you know, it makes me think about uh, the difference between, I, I work with cancer a lot, the, the difference between doctors who show some emotion about what you're going through and doctors who are, are kind of closed door. Uh, mm-hmm. A doctor who shows empathy in some way can change the whole experience for a person and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. It can be much harder if someone is kind of shut down or cold. And uh, it sounds similar to me that these professionals related to you as a person, as a whole human being, and they, and they um, identified with you to some extent, it Mm -hmm. sounds
2: probably had kids, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, and that, you know, that is something like a big takeaway, you know, uh, from my experiences that, you know, not only are people good, but like, I really do feel that that's why we are here is to have relationships and love and impact others. Um, you know, just having the human connection. So let's talk about humor a little
1: bit uh, because <laughs> we, we've we've been talking about something that's deeply serious: um, loss and the and the love that comes towards us when we're experiencing loss, um, but. I also know that a big part of how you feel you navigated th- these experiences was humor. And uh, I can resonate with that. I sort of discovered a sense of humor going through uh, my wife's illness. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't very funny before that, <laughs> but uh, people <laughs> don't expect that, that aspect Uh it sounds like that was part and parcel of your relationship with your husband, but also I could imagine uh, maybe a little, a little. you might have felt a little hesitant to be cracking jokes, uh, you know, with other people around. How, I don't know, how did humor start coming back into things for you?
2: Well, humor has always been, like, like I had said, Andy was one of the funniest people that I'd ever met, but... I do make a joke, but now he's gone. Now I'm the funny one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and he's rolling his eyes right now, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> you don't even qualify. Huh? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So humor has always been just a great, I think it's just a great coping mechanism or coping strategy Um, and I, and I think, you know, what I've learned is that grief is such a heavy and loss or such heavy topics that nobody wants to talk about, which is hence why you do this show, which is wonderful. Um, but adding a little humor, I think helps people to talk about it more. And, um, and so as I was going through these experiences, you know, it, I think it was hard it can be hard for people to see someone who's, you know, even when I'm going through like the three weeks and four days of him missing, That it's okay if I'm smiling sometimes or laughing, you know, it's a part of a part of life and it's a part of like letting your body just release some stress too.
1: And also you were and I don't know, during that whole period okay. living with a six and nine year old so i can imagine exactly. that you were you were also kind of maintaining some some tiny bit of resemblance to usual life and i, exactly. I imagine they're quite used to things being funny
2: mhm they definitely they are and you know you can't live with a 6 and 9 year old without laughing about some crazy things they do constantly um but I know in my early grief, um, and I don't know if you experienced this too, I'm, I'm guessing yes, but having more of like a dark sense of humor. Um, yeah, about, humor. Right? I'm
1: all about it. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I feel Go like as, as the years have gone by, it, I've you know, I've toned it down a little bit um, because, you know, I get... In, in the early days, I would get sick of people calling me strong, and um, I would just be sick of people asking me how I am. And I would sometimes, for shock and awe, say, well, how do you think I really am? I mean, do you, you wanna want to know me? my real how?" instead of, like, the Minnesota nice, where we all say, fine, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Do <laughs> you want to know how I really am doing? Because I don't think you really do want to know how I'm really doing. <laughs> and so yeah. so I've toned that down a bit. But I I do feel yeah. like um, we can laugh about, about. There's still funny things that happen and crazy things that happen, even in those three weeks and four days he was missing. Um, and I do talk a little bit about this in my book, but even like on the morning of Andy's funeral, I slid and... Down the driveway and hit my head on the windshield, and I'm thinking in my head, "Oh God, really?" You know, like I'm on my way to my husband's funeral. I'm pregnant, and I look in the car, and the kids are just erupting with laughter. And (laughs) it doesn't take away the the (laughs) terrible thing we're about to do, but it just gives us a little bit of reprieve. And I just one of the things I remember.
1: It's it's almost more funny. Like uh, whatever higher power or God there is has a really (laughs) sick sense of humor. I know, exactly. Or it's like, yeah.
2: maybe Andy pushed me into the car. <laughs> <I don't
1: know. laughs> it's time for our second break. So uh, I would like to talk more about that. I don't think we're done with humor quite yet. We'll come back to that. No, the I don't think so. <laughs> and listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com or the Good Grief Host page. And to find Katie Stifter, you can go to wickedwidow.com. Be back soon.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent
0: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at WeatheringGrief.com. Now back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back. I've been talking with Katie Stifter about uh, the loss of her husband and and um, what that led to in her life. And just before the break, Katie, we were we were enjoying a conversation about humor, which of course. Uh, I value so highly since going through that experience. We literally laughed all the time. And like you, my partner was a very funny person. Uh, I got funnier as the time went on. (laughs) You're the funny one too now. (laughs) I'm the funny one too now. That's exactly correct. And being able to say, isn't life crazy there's, there's mm-hmm. kind of that aspect. Who, who could have thought that we could laugh in this circumstance is part of what that humor is about for me. Exactly. But um, I have a feeling there's something in your website's name that has to do with humor. So can you share
2: that with people? Why is it called uh, The Wicked Widow? <laughs> sure. So I started writing, and actually I started writing um, when – Andy was missing and I had to, you know, do all those updates. And I'm sure you're aware of how that goes. Absolutely. and And so I just felt like it was very therapeutic. And so, you know, a year after I had still, still been writing and I decided I'm going to start a blog and just get my thoughts out. It's a healing thing. And so I'm like, I use humor a lot. And my husband, my late husband's favorite movie was Good Will Hunting. And he would always say, that's wicked funny, wicked smart. So I'm like, that's it. That's got to be the wicked widow.
1: So um, <laughs>
2: that's the name behind it.
1: Directly related to this humor subject. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do any of your children take after the two of you? Do, are you? Are you still a funny family? Not
2: just you, but all of all of you? I, I think we are, we are, you know, I have to tone down a little of their sarcasm and funny sometimes. Because uh, yes, I know. I have children. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> like my daughter, um, kind of a funny, sick story, but she, one day we were driving in the car and she's like, well, where did you put the paddleboard? Like, what'd you do with it? You know, which is a fair question. And um, sure. I told her, I'm like, well, I'm like, well, the police, you know, just, just kept it and they would just auction it, you know, off at uh, I don't know, at a police auction, I guess. And she's like, "Oh good, cuz um what are you going to do with it? Like, hey, who wants this board that someone died on?" And it's like <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like that is a conversation for just us, no one else. Well, of course, now I'm playing it on your podcast,
1: but <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. But but I appreciate that because uh, I'll tell you the bulk of people who come to me to work with childhood loss come because mm-hmm. nobody would talk about it. hmm It's not the loss itself that stays with you in a negative mm-hmm. way necessarily. I mean, it's painful, of course, and affects yep. you. But uh, it's it's actually the hiddenness. So for her to be so free to say, you know, who wants the who wants the old thing? Yeah, my dad died yes. on this. To me, it it uh, implies that you're pretty open talking about the whole experience, and um, they're they're free to investigate their own thoughts about it out loud with you.
2: They are, and they do. And so, um, you know, I made a vow. When, you know, Andy, well, his first death date or a second, I don't know, because he's got two, (laughs) which is sick in itself, because the day he died, went missing, and then the day he was found. But, you know, I vowed that we would always be talking about him, and we would share his story, and we would be open about his death, and that it was never going to be, like, a secret that we weren't going to talk about, because I, you know, I'm a school counselor by, uh, as my job, and... I deal with kids and adults that have lost people and, you know, I hear those stories about like, I don't want to talk about it with my mom or because I'm sad, she'll get sad or someone else will get sad. And, um, you know, I as if that's the worst thing in the about. world, right? I know. <laughs> I know. It's so hard to hear that. And so I never wanted my children to feel like they couldn't talk about it. Um, and my daughter in fact is like, Mom, is that for your blog again? You know, she calls those, so. I think she's like sick of it. So, but
1: that will not called. change because my my uh, I think I mentioned this on last week's shows too. My twenty six year old in front of other people, but I happened to be in the room. Said, "Oh God, we talked about death ad nauseum."
2: <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> really? Did
1: we really? But I, I guess we did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's, it's same, same here. And we not only talk about his death, but we just talk about him. And, sure. you know, I just take every opportunity to talk about him. You know, like, for example, as my daughter is headed to school and kind of grouchy and I'll say, hey, honey, you look beautiful. And your dad thinks so, too. And, you know, she rolls her eyes at me. Uh, but, you know, I want them to see. Re- you know, the reality is. Six and nine-year-old aren't going to have many memories of their dad. Especially, I worry about my six-year-old, so I want to keep the story going.
1: And also, you were pregnant. You have a, a, t- a tinier mm-hmm. one who did not know him at all, yeah. and so I yeah, imagine he's that two and a half now. Uh huh. So he's he's immersed in his dad either way. Uh, I don't I want to let you go though. You know, I I kind of troll around when someone's coming on the show, and I want to say congratulations because I think you've become engaged. I have become engaged. <laughs> well, congratulations! <laughs> well, it's important you. to say yes, here, like the the moving forward part, you know, and mm-hmm. and how that intersects with that we can both continue to have um, losses and feelings about losses. And at the same time, move forward. Uh, and I exactly. particularly enjoyed um, a picture of that said, "Say yes to the dress." Because for whatever reason, I, I obviously, I have, I am married, but as a young person, that wasn't an option. Never had a white dress or any of that stuff. But I find that show. Uh, a, a welcome break from <laughs> some other parts of living sounds like you watched that after your husband died
2: I watched it actually while he was missing and it was just like noise in the background uh, and I always had enjoyed that show too so you know when I'm an- anxious and can't Couldn't sleep. I just would have TV on, and that was a show that was always on. In fact, my neighbors like I can't even watch that show anymore because you were like a zombie when it was on. I'm like, I still love it, (laughs) but
1: but it but it must have made a certain amount of of sense because uh, what didn't die was your your love of your husband,
2: and never uh, did or will.
1: You know that is that is so. that's what that show is about right People are mm-hmm. about to join their lives with other people mm-hmm. uh, So it's exactly. entirely
2: about love. I can imagine
1: that felt sort of comforting
2: It did it did and you know when I you know at the time like my biggest fear was being alone forever and I never thought I would be in this spot again and it feels so wonderful. Um, you know every moment is a little bit bittersweet. Because I still love and miss Andy every day, but I did find somebody who um, embraces embraces Andy, lets me talk about it, isn't jealous, um, talks about it with my kids, and embraces them as his own. So I think you have um, a. I think so. I think that
1: when if you're going to you know keep your your uh, the person you've lost uh, in the mix and alive and everything, it actually. Is a good vetting process. I know with my wife, that my second wife, that I've now been married to for 21 years, uh, mm-hmm. it made a big difference to me that she could uh, navigate that openly, and that she wasn't trying yeah, I- to get rid of. Uh, it said mm-hmm. something about her as a person, not just as a, uh, you know, not just about that one subject, but I think about. Uh, overall, a kind of trustworthiness, a a lack of possessiveness. uh, Insecure,
2: not insecure.
1: Not insecure, able to say that's that and this is this and and kind of keep that um, Mm -hmm. clean in a
2: way. Do you think so? Yeah, it takes a strong person to love a widow, I think, to fully love and understand. And, And the cool thing about Ryan is that, you know, if he doesn't know, he asks, you know, tell me what you need. What do you want? You know, I'm here to listen.
1: That's a good quality in general.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, know, but, I know. But
1: probably very necessary in the situation because I, for me anyway, when I first met my current wife, uh, everything that happened was a grief event. Because mm-hmm. every time we took a step, uh, it it highlighted the the missing person. Yeah, uh, you know when I had to make space for in the closet, or you know there are, there are just so many examples. I can't even uh, I can't even count them.
2: Yeah, so, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, even getting engaged and you know buying a dress. You know, thinking about the last time when I bought a dress. I mean, all those things. It's just they come hand in hand. Like you you know, the person I am today is because of the experiences I've had.
1: Yeah. Nothing nothing to leave behind.
2: <laughs> nope. Nothing to leave behind. <laughs> and although that, and, my, my future husband will commonly point to the sky and be like, Help me Andy, help me <laughs> <laughs> That takes it to another level, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: He has a sense of humor too. That's that's fortunate. He does have a sense of humor. <laughs> fact, well, Ka- me, Katie. Uh, talk- oh, go ahead. We're, we're going to have to say goodbye for today. I've enjoyed okay. the conversation very much. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. You can find Katie Stifter at wickedwidow.com. Next week, I'll have Shakti Butler, PhD. Shakti, a filmmaker and founder and creative director of World Trust is a dynamic educator in the field of racial equality. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief.